Today on Hanging with Champions, we'll be hanging out with a four-time Olympian from the sport of speed skating. He's a lover of candy, fast food, and rap music, and twice was denied an Olympic medal by just three hundredths of a second. From the land of a thousand islands, the Olympic face of Finland, Mika Potila joins us today. So come on, hang with us on Hang with Champions. And welcome back to Hang with Champions, where every week we hang out with Olympic stars, past, present, and future. I'm Patrick Keenis from NBC Sports, the Olympic Channel, and Westwood One. And a reminder, you can hang out with us as well. Subscribe and get notified when the next Hang with Champions episode drops. So wherever you get your podcast, whether that's on Apple or Google, Pandora, iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify, and Stitcher, we are there. And you can leave some comments in our social channels, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Hanging with Champions ventured outside the United States for the first time. And even a blondine, our first international Olympian guest, speed skater from Canada, we asked her toward the end of the show who she thought the funniest Olympian was. And the name that popped out of Evany's mouth is today's guest, Mika Potila. And if you ask, ye shall receive. So all the way from Finland, we hang with the legendary man from uh, Finland, the four-time Olympian speed skater, and perhaps the funniest Olympian, Mika Potila. Mika, welcome to the show. How are you? <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> it's a pleasure. And um, uh, I didn't know that Ivani thinks that I'm that funny, but <laughs> I'm delighted. I, I get to know her like last maybe five years ago when I, when I trained and lived in Canada for uh, like three falls. And that was, uh, that was a special time for me. Is she right? Are you the funniest Olympian? Or does she just have a uh, low bar as far as the sense of humor goes? I don't know. I think, I think she meant that I'm the only one who actually acts just before the start. Like a little bit like Usain Bolt used to do. So that, that's maybe why, why she thinks that I'm the funniest guy there. <laughs> well, 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 we'll allow our audience to kind of determine that, but I think you're, you're, on, you're on a really good path here so far in the first couple of minutes. Uh, first and foremost, before we get into all of your incredible histories and, and the records that you set and everything you've done for speed skating in Finland and the sport in general, let's just kind of address you know, the, the most pressing issue impacting all of our worlds, which is the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, here in the United States, we're beginning to tick back up around 40 or 50,000 cases per day. Um, politics is playing a pretty big wedge in terms of how our country is dealing with it. In Finland, 5 million people, uh, I think a total of around 12,000 cases since it began back in February. What is life like for you, for your family, and for your countrymen? Well, it's, it's totally different than it used to be like a year ago. Even though we have only like a little bit more than 300 deaths from the coronavirus, they still take it like super seriously. So right now we are talking about should it be mandatory to use the face masks or to wear the face mask? And uh, there is, uh, it's really hard for me uh, individually because uh, I'm an entrepreneur right now mm -hmm. and my main job is to go to, to companies and to bigger venues to speak. And none of those can happen right now. So I'm basically unemployed <laughs> or, or I don't have a job right now. So I need to come up with some new ideas. And I also do some video production stuff. So that's mainly what I've been doing, but it's, it's not good. 
You, you mentioned the face masks, and I read just a couple of days ago that uh, your Ministry of Social Affairs and Health are talking about some new guidelines potentially being instituted in Finland, impacting bars and restaurants. Uh, a, is that the case? And then B, how, how political, if at all, has the wearing of masks been uh, for the people of Finland? Uh, because here in the United States, it's almost if you wear a mask, you're a liberal left-leaning Democrat. If you don't wear a mask, you're of, of, of the, the right-wing side of the conservative Republican Party. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the case. But I, I don't see that it's at all politic, political for here. Okay. It's more like uh, some of the places, for example, public transportation, if you don't wear mask, people are really looking at you. Like they, they are wondering, like, why are you not wearing mask? And then in the supermarkets right now, maybe a little bit more than half of the people are wearing mask. So it's, it's, it has been pretty good if you think about wearing masks uh, in here. But, um, but right now, I think the biggest problem is that like when the corona started, they told that you shouldn't wear a mask because it doesn't help at all. Mm. And now it came up that they only said that because there was no, not enough maskies in Finland. So they kind of lied. And that's, that's why people are really pissed right now. And, and so you were a four-time Olympian. Your last Olympic Games was in Pyeongchang in 2018. You have since retired from the sports and moved on to your next chapters. But if you were still skating, and I'm sure you still have many conversations with many of your friends who are in the skating uh, field right now, trying to prepare for Beijing, trying to see what type of World Cup season it's going to be. What conversations have you had with them on how to mentally and physically prepare and tolerate what's going on? And if you were still skating, how disruptive would this be? Like, it, it's, it's amazing when I speak to athletes who are still skating, they they are like super positive about it like they are just like well this gives us uh, more time to to improve these things wh what we like normally doesn't have time to so but right for me i feel that it would be super frustrating especially for the guys and girls who are like on their last years because you never know if you if there will be like Beijing Olympic Games or or some big events next year so i think I think it's, it, it has to be super hard mentally. And uh, it's hard for me to imagine that anymore because I've never felt anything like this before. There's, I don't remember any World Cup or World Championship starts canceled because of anything like this. And actually, I am uh, from the men's side of the, of the skating world. I am the most... World Cup individual starts skated skater ever. So I've been a couple of uh, races before. So so looking back now, Mika, did you retire at the right time? I mean, would this, if, if you were still skating, uh, would this be really challenging for, for you to deal with? Or do you feel like, boy, I just got out of the right moments and uh, because this would be extremely difficult because it's not just the racing, it's the traveling, it's the, it's, it's the camaraderie, it's the prize money, it's the sponsorship, there's a lot of business aspects of this as well that are really interfering with these athletes' lives. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel that I, I actually quit exactly the right time because <laughs> when, when, I, when I quit speed skating, I was actually 18 hundredths of a second out of the world record. And next year, 
uh, the world record were beaten like like three tenths. And that's like in, in 500 meters peace king, that's like uh, eternity. <laughs> and, and I felt that like I had no chance anymore. When I quit sp- skating, I was one of the best. Mm-hmm. But next year, they actually like skated so much faster. And uh, I, I can't believe that I could have done that. So <laughs> I, I was at the, at the right time. But about the corona, I was actually, I feel that I was one of the like toughest skaters mentally. So, so I think I could have dealt with this, but the problem is that in Finland, we don't have any indoor rinks. So right now it would be really hard to train right. if, because the traveling is so hard. Right. And for the people who don't realize, and we'll kind of go through your Olympic pass and all the World Cup successes that you had a little bit later here in the podcast, but when you, when you retired right after Pyeongchang, 35 years old, you finish fourth in Pyeongchang, again, three hundreds off of the podium, almost at the peak of your career at that stage, yet it was time for Mika to move on. Uh, why was that the right time for you and how hard was it to do? Yeah, there was a couple of things. Like last three falls that I skated, I actually moved to Canada every, every single fall with my family. I had two boys and my wife. Now we have... Uh, uh, five members in our family. We have a new baby girl, actually three months old. So oh, congratulations! That's, that's uh, thank you. That that's that's super super nice. But uh, my oldest son actually went to school that year that I quit skating, and we didn't want to go abroad and start the school there. So that was one of the things that we really wanted to put him in Finnish schools. And then, like, I started to be one of the oldest guys out there, yeah. even though. Like like last three years that I skated, every single year I skated a new national record, and that was funny because after I I I, I turned thirty years old, uh, many people told me that it, it's actually impossible to improve any, anymore in that age, <laughs> and then I just went to break all the national records every single year. So um, I felt that I quit actually at the peak of my mm-hmm. career, and and that felt really good because. Um, I think I like outperformed everything that I had in me. I were never the champion, but I'm super, um, super proud of what I did. Like, and, and the things that you told at the beginning of the, of the podcast, those are actually the most important things for me from sports. That when, when you ask people like, how is this guy, this Mika? then they will answer that that he was the super nice and, and he was always positive and and he was always like helping each other and um and that's that's what i actually value more than all those medals because joey cheek who's my analyst on nbc with long track speed skating here in the united states uh, we chatted a couple of days ago and because in 2006 when he won the 500 meter gold in italy and and you were that was your very first uh, first Olympic season, uh, he, he had some overlap. And he said that uh, although you didn't have many races head to head against one another because his career was ending as yours was just beginning, he said, and this is remarkable to say about any athlete, he never saw you be anything but super nice to any athlete from any country in any sport. And that coming from Joey, who is one of the nicest people who I know, who's so well-respected 
here in the United States for his, what he's done athletically and what he's done post his athletic career. Now, you know, as an entrepreneur like you and now as an executive with, it, with a business out in Colorado, uh, that speaks volumes and you're saying that matters more than anything you accomplished on the ice. Yeah, and I, I, I'm really honored that Joey told something like that about me because after Torino Olympic Games 2006, Joey's 500 meter was the most viewed race that I've ever watched. Like I watched it so, so many times, like how he takes those court curves and how, how he goes there, how he's leaning and where the pushes are directing. And like, yeah, he was one of my biggest idols back then. So that, that's amazing to hear. Did you ever have a chance to to let him know that 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 you meant so that he meant so much to you uh, as your career was moving on? I don't actually know. I, I don't know if he if he knows that. What do you tell him? Because I, I I guarantee he'll be listening to this. What would you want to tell him? Yeah, I just want to tell him that he was really big impact on my career because, like you told me, like even though. Um, we are a little bit different age group and we only skated maybe one or two seasons. He was always the guy that I was looking up to. And I remember his like his progress two, three years before the Olympic games. And he was just going like every single year he was improving and improving because uh, when I started speed skating, he was actually skating some B group racing. Like we were in the same groups and he was not uh, even in the top 20. <laughs> and then I saw the improvements and, and that gave me also hope that also I can improve because we were racing at the same races and then suddenly he was the <laughs> Olympic champion. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that was one of the biggest things for me uh, back then that he, he gave me hope and he, he showed me the way that it's actually yeah. possible. Uh, he, he's shown a lot of people the way, and I'm sure he, yeah, he, he loves sure. hearing these comments from you. So let's talk about how it all began for you, Mika. Visiting with uh, Mika Putala from, from Finland, four-time Olympian. You did not start speed skating until, I'm guessing, a little bit later in life than most kids. You're about seven or eight years old. Your father had just passed away, and your mother was the one who, I guess, was she was looking for a, a channel for Mika to express himself athletically is that is that correct how did it happen yeah it actually went like i was a little bit depressed at that moment when my when my father died and and uh, my mom took me to different kind of therapies and and um, counselors and, and and tried to help me and i felt that nothing actually helped me and then she thought what if we put this kid to some um, athletics and uh, maybe he can find new friends there, enjoy life a little bit. And when I went to speed skating, like when I was on the ice, I never thought anything else. Like all my sorrows disappeared. And that was like, uh, it felt like a heaven for me. So it helped me so much. And when you told at the introduction that, uh, that this Finnish skater who likes candy, back in the days was actually a funny <laughs> story because uh, I didn't have the, that real racing suit at the first. Because I came from a single parent family, mm -hmm. so I didn't have that much money. So I didn't have uh, this racing suit. So I skated with the sweatsuit at first. So uh, I actually sometimes hit some candy to my pockets, <laughs> and and I skated <laughs> far away from the from my coach. And I, when I didn't see him, I was I was watching back, and he didn't see me. I took some candy to my mouth and <laughs> and ate those. And that actually explains why why it helped me because it was so fun 
what, what type of candy would you be eating, Mika? Um, anything. I just love candy. <laughs> what, what was your favorite as a kid? Yeah, obviously it had to be small to fit in the pockets of your sweatsuits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In Finland, we have this like this uh, big like uh, shops where you can actually pick yourself different kind of candies. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to call like my own own like a candy box. So that was my favorite. Did your coach ever catch you? I think he did, but he actually <laughs> never like uh, told me about that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he knew what what mm -hmm. I was doing, but but he didn't care about that that much because one of the like nicest thing that he actually made me was that that he just wanted us kids to enjoy the sports. Mm -hmm. He never wanted uh, wanted to make us like world champion or anything like that. He just wanted us to enjoy. And I remember one specific situation because uh, I didn't enjoy cycling that much, but cycling is really big, <laughs> big thing. Huge part of training. training, sure. Exactly. But I didn't enjoy that that much. So, and I complained every now and then, but then <laughs> one time we always had like these three weeks training blocks. And one time he switched one of the cycling days for uh, skateboarding because I love skateboarding. And all the other kids went to cycling and I went to skateboarding. And when I saw that, I realized that he actually cares about me. He cares that I enjoy um, skateboarding and, and I hated cycling back then. And after that, that was like mentally, that was such a huge thing for me because I understood that he is only looking what's best for me and he really cares about me. So after that, that time, I never complained about cycling. So that was mentally like a big thing. What was the name of that coach? Toivo Kihlanki. Do you still stay in touch with him? Is he still involved with the sport? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Okay. But we, we see every now and then and... Uh, mm. I've been telling like so many times what he means to me and uh, I've been in a couple of books and I've been writing a book myself and mm -hmm. those stories are there. They are, they are the main things for my like youth skating. So Mika, when did the transition come from being a seven, eight, nine-year-old speed skater wearing a sweatsuit with candy stuffed in the pockets to the transition of, I'm pretty good at this. I'm getting some really good coaching. Um, there's a there's a really strong history of Finland performing well in the Olympics, although that basically ended in the 1950s and 1960s. For you, it's almost be the chance to restart the love of speed skating for your country of Finland. When did that happen? Well, it actually happened after my first Olympic Games. I, I wasn't like a real athlete when I went to my first Olympic Games. I was eating still candy and McDonald's and and everything. I slept every now and then and not like a really structure. So actually 2007, I made a, a huge, like a kind of like a life transformation for myself. Uh, I started to care more about what I was eating. Uh, I was I was really strict about my my sleep. And then like also mentally, because I think I had like a wrong kind of uh, kind of habits and, and those like, uh, uh, like mental, uh, like what was actually mentally like um, guiding me, those questions, what we are asking about ourselves, those were wrong. So I really had to change a lot of things in me and in my habits. 
Uh, and then in three years, I went from being 20th and I was suddenly like winning World Cups and being on the medals and almost winning the Olympic, Olympic uh, champion. So in three years, it was a huge change in me. So wouldn't that then explain why when you're 24 years old and almost just beginning to take the sport and your career seriously, wouldn't that explain why at 35 in Pyeongchang that you were so fast and so close to winning Olympic uh, gold? Yeah, I, I think it, I think it is because of that. Like I wasn't too serious about speed skating, even though I went to world cups when I was 18 or 19 and, uh, I just enjoyed the sport so much, but I never, I never killed myself with the training, and I, I wasn't yeah. too concerned if I, if I slept only six hours before mm -hmm. some of the bigger competitions. Like, but in my mind, it, it's it's a little bit stupid when I when I look at it now, but still, I'm really happy how it went because if I would have been like a super good when I was 18. Uh, I don't think my career would have been this long. So I, I really enjoy how, how it went. And at least I have really good stories for the younger skaters right now. <laughs> for sure. And, and I would almost contend that it would only be stupid if you wouldn't have recognized it ever. You know, I think we all go through periods where, you know, you have some life revelation, career, relationship, whatever it is. It doesn't matter when you recognize it, it's when you do they were able then to make kind of that wholesale lifestyle, personal um, belief system, whatever it is, change. And you did, and you saw the rewards, and you're still applying those lessons that you learned to what you're doing now. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's actually like a really big part of my speeches when I go to companies. And uh, I have a good, good example. When you transform your lives, your habits, you start to see results. And that's, that's how it goes. But actually, uh, my biggest, biggest lesson when I go to speech is, is how you deal with the disappointments. Because every single one of us, we are facing disappointments. And I have a couple of big ones. And uh, one of them was catastrophe for me, <laughs> like mentally. And the second one, uh, I had learned something. And that was way, 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 way much easier. And I think that's, a, that's the biggest lesson that I'm actually giving. Well, let's, let's dive into those because I'm assuming those two ca catastrophic in 2010 and the one you're mo much more able to process and, and, and deal with as an adult is in 2018. Your bookend uh, finishes in the 500 meters where you were three one hundredths of a second, both times off of the podium. Uh, one is you were just beginning to figure out who you were in the sport. And then the second, as you were preparing yourself mentally to leave the sport, become a, a father of three children and uh, express your messaging out to the people, out to the masses. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And uh, back in 2010, we actually used to skate twice the 500 meter. And we combined those times. And I actually won the first one. And at that, uh, that day, no one actually skated faster than I did. So in kind of, I was the world's best skater at that moment, but I made a small mistake in my second race and I dropped out of the medal by three hundredths of a second. Uh, and the problem actually wasn't that I made the mistake or I couldn't like handle the disappointment mentally, but the problem was that um, 
already earlier that year, I started to feel like like I had to be uh, Olympic medalist. Like if I'm not Olympic medalist, I'm nothing. Like no one cares about athletes who have gone to Olympic games, but they have haven't bring like medal. So that was my identity, which was the problem. Like my identity was mainly how fast I was on the ice. That was how valuable human being I was. And that's why it took me more than a year that every single day I thought about that moment, like why I messed up with that last corner. And that was, that was super hard. But a couple of years later, I understood what was the problem. And then I started to work on my identity, my core values. And I started to become like more strong mentally. And uh, 2018, when I faced the same situation, I somehow thought that maybe the feeling after the disappointment would be easier, but it wasn't. (laughs) It was exactly the same. It felt awful. But how I dealt with the disappointment, that was totally different. And two days after the race, I actually made a video about how I deal with the disappointments. And uh, it was it was watched 250,000 times in Facebook. So it really went kind of viral in Finland. And the biggest thing was that I understood that how fast I am on the ice, it doesn't matter at all who I am inside of me. Like those are two different things. Of course, I believe that our work, our passion, our sports is part of our identity. But I think we should have like core identity, which is not involved about what we are doing or what someone else is saying or doing. A story that I read about your 2018 race was after you finished the race, your wife and your two kids then were back home, evidently preparing to watch your race. And the story I read said that you called back home, something had gone back on at the house, you, you were asking your wife what she thought of the race and tr- again, trying to almost um, help you deal with it. Did you see, did you see, and, and what was going on? What did she tell you? Yeah, it was, it was a funny moment. It didn't feel funny back then, but uh, a couple of hours after the race, I called back home and I spoke with my wife and, and we cried a little bit. And, and then at the end, I asked, like, how, how did the kids react? Because, because they knew that that's one of, the, one of the most important races in my life. And I was a little bit like scared that uh, did they take it too seriously? And, um, and when I asked that from my wife, my wife started to slowly told me that Mika, actually at the same time, that you were racing different channel there were cartoons coming and kids decided to watch the cartoons <laughs> instead of your skating and i was like are you kidding me and i was so angry i was so angry like how can they do that <laughs> this has been my uh, my like passion my goal for the last 10 years and that's only 35 <laughs> seconds <laughs> like uh, <laughs> And I was like, or almost like throwing my, my phone to the wall. And, but at, at the same time, when I was like really pissed off, I started to think like, what is my kids actually thinking right now? Like what, well, what, what is the thoughts in their mind? And I somehow understood that they are actually just thinking like, when is the daddy coming back home? And 
I almost started to started to cry because I understood that they are not they don't care if I'm 15th or if I win or if mm-hmm. I if I lose they just want their daddy to come back home was that, that about was, the moment that you realized that it's time for me to leave the sport was 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 there one flashpoint where you said it's it's time that was for sure one of the key moments because I understood that this is not um valuable enough for me to continue because i felt that there is so much more valuable things in my life right now and i need to give more time to them it's it's a very powerful story uh i i think it's it's wonderful for a lot of the athletes to hear regardless of what your sport is on really what matters most what we think matters most is generally not what matters most to our our wives our family, our close friends, but there's so much pressure that's been applied and you've had dedicated 16, 17, 18 years of your life seriously to this sport. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also want to say that like, uh, when our first, first boy was born, born, uh, it actually gave me like more passion to my skating also. Because when I when I had to travel abroad and I didn't see my family, I always was thinking that now I don't want to waste this time. I need to use this mm-hmm. as good as I can. So it gave me more motivation to be the best I could be. So I don't want to say that that if you want to have kids, they're like burden to your sports. I, I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was the time. I just understood that now it's the time. Like there was many things, but that was one of the things. Visiting with uh, Mika Potila of Finland, four-time Olympian. Uh, Let's make a little transition now because one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on was to talk about your career, but also just talk about your, I mean, there are not many characters in the sport of speed skating. Uh, It's it's very straightforward. There There are not many Usain Bolts who will, you know, before a big race, exhort the crowd get on your feet start clapping rhythmically to try and get 15 30 60,000 people engaged but you do and you did and that was one of your uh one of your loving characteristics uh, about any time that i mean you could have a random speed uh, speed skating fan in the in the audience if they didn't know anything about mika and then they saw mika come on the ice before your race when everybody else is very serious and stoic and focused, yet you're not, how can they not be a fan of this guy in the ice? They may not be from, you know, they might be from 10,000 miles away from your home country, but Mika, we love. How did that become part of your, uh, part of your personality, part of your character? Yeah, I, I've, I have always enjoyed being in front of people and getting them to laugh. Like, like I remember when I was back in the school, I, I was that kid who made funny joke, even though I had to stay after the school. But <laughs> but if if my friends laughed, it was worth it. Like so so it comes like deep inside of me. And actually, in the Netherlands, they started to call me the Finnish clown. But uh, it was it was not only positive because sometimes mm-hmm. if I didn't perform well. There was uh, some people from Finland who told me that, like, like with playing games, you, you could skate so much faster if you didn't like mm. be the clown. 
and it hurt me sometimes. Did but, you get uh, some pushback from some other skaters as well? Because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing not every skater was really thrilled, especially if they're in the same pair with you and it's the most important race of their, of their meet. Yeah, actually, some of the coaches told my coach and said that, that please ask Mika not to play <laughs> because, because there was an important race. And actually, back to 2018, uh, at the 1,000 meter, I was against uh, Netherlands' Kjeld Nuis, who actually won the race. Mm-hmm. But one day before the race, when I heard that I'm with Kjeld, uh, I went to talk to him and I said, should we, should we make a big show before the race? And he actually told me that I wish that would be so cool, but my coach would kill me if I would do something <laughs> like that with you. <laughs> but actually, like uh, Howard Bokko from Norway, mm-hmm. that was one of my companion. Like every time we were together, we did something funny together. And, and the other guy was actually Gilmore Junior from Canada. Sure. Is, is that what you like? Do you miss that most? I mean, we're working in sports and traveling all around the country and around the world as, as, as we do. It's not just the events that we miss. It's the bonds. It's the friendships. It's the off the ice, off the field, just ridiculousness of people in, 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 you know, in, in sports for their careers. Is that what you miss the most? Yeah, definitely. Like I really miss the most, uh, those like speed skiing family, like all those people, all that, like those, uh, moments that you never get anymore. But I want to say one thing, like, uh, the thing that I did before the start was not only because of the show, okay. because after I, I got some like critique, what I was doing, I really started to think about like, and, and, and thinking like why I'm doing that and, and should I quit? But actually one of the big moments for me was like when I was doing my show and I was, I was pumping my fist and, and uh, clapping to the crowd. And then I went to give high fives to people who were close to the, close to the ice. And they were always those handicapped people who were there. And when I went to shake their hands and do something, mm-hmm. I saw like someone was like crying and, yeah. and it was so special for them. And that's when I realized that this is not only for me, this is also for these people. No one else is actually going there and giving them like respect and showing them that, hey, nice that you came here. I really appreciate that. So it was kind of my way to give back to the audience because they paid to come right. to see us. Right. Did, in, in many respects, did, did that help tamp down any other issues that other coaches or skaters had with it? Do they understand this is not just Mika, the, the Finnish clown out here trying to disrupt us or get us off of our game. There's a, there's a higher purpose for this. Yeah, I think so. And every time some coach came to came to ask me if I could be a little bit more polite, I never did like my biggest show. Like every every time uh, my competitor where where like their name was 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 pronounced, I I was only clapping. So I only used my time. I didn't want to interrupt their like uh, this uh, focusing moment. So it was never my my way of kind of sabotaging my, my competitors, not at all. Right now, over these last couple of years, as I've really been locked in on speed skating, I haven't seen any other athletes do this uh, now since you've retired. Are, are there any 
do you wish there, there, there were a few more that were, were, would be a little bit more animated? There was a couple of people who told me that they really want to do that, but they are too scared because of their coaches. So I know that there is a couple of skaters who really want to do something, but they are afraid that if they skate bad, they will get so much crap from their coach. So I, I, I'm not, I don't think that there will be anything like that mm -hmm. because I really took that, that like a little bit too far every now and then, like one time before the thousand meter. Uh, I kind of backed up maybe 20 meters and then I turned back and when they like told my name, I actually took the belly glide <laughs> and I, ex I actually hurt my knee a little bit just before the start. That was, that was a world cup. And <laughs> well, that's a, that's a great segue into the other stories um, because you are certainly full of them on, on just the, the, just the craziness I mean, the, the hijinks and just the, 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 the raw fun. You, you can tell you, you just had a blast going around yeah. the world and skating. And one of the stories that you tipped me off to was at the end of a certain Olympic Games, I'll let you fill in the gaps here, you had run out of money to cover your last hotel night expenses and your flight back home was the next day. What, what was that about and what happened and how did how'd you get out of the country? Yeah, yeah, that was actually back into maybe – 2001 or something and that was actually inline skating competition oh, i see okay so yeah so uh i was still 18 years old but i went to senior uh european championships but then if i still wanted to continue with the junior like section i actually couldn't compete so i was actually just chilling out a couple of days because i didn't want <laughs> to race there but then after the european championships there was uh, this uh, like extra marathon and I participated for that. But all the like, coaches and our team leader, they went home after the European Championships. So I was maybe 17, 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And there was two of my friends. And we stayed there uh, alone. And back in the days, no one had credit cards. We didn't have cell phones. So we just realized after the race that we don't have actually money for the, for the hotel and our flight is leaving next, uh, next morning <laughs> and we didn't have money for the taxi. So after the race, we just took our suitcases back of our back and we actually inline skated back to the, back to the uh, airport by highway. <laughs> how, how, it, how, many, it, how many kilometers was this? It was maybe 15, 20 kilometers. Okay. So it took us <laughs> maybe an hour or something. And then, then we slept at the, at the airport benches for a couple hours. But uh, th those are the days like, I, I can't believe that no one actually does that anymore because we have credit cards and cell phones. Yeah. But that was an adventure. It's just totally creative. I mean, again, being 18 years old, don't have enough money left. How, how do we get to the airport? You're resourceful. You figured it out. And um, I'm sure I know car, uh, were cars honking at you as they're driving past you. <laughs> I, I really see the passion there because we knew that we don't have enough money, but, but we still wanted to stay there the one extra mm -hmm. day that we can actually compete. So we chose to be in a, in, a, in a tough situation, but we knew that somehow we will manage through. So I, I think in my mind, it showed that we really had passion for the sports. Yeah. And, and earlier in your career, as you mentioned, uh, after the 06 games is when you really began to focus on, especially what you were putting in your body, the nutrition side of things. But before that, uh, pizza, McDonald's seemed to be your favorite meals. It's not exactly breakfast of champions, 
but it worked. <laughs> it got you to Torino, did it not? Yeah, one of the like funniest stories that I always tell is like maybe 2005, about half a year before my first Olympic Games, there was actually uh, a Netherlands, uh, like the nutrition coach from the Netherlands, and he came to Finnish Finnish national team, and we had to we had to uh, do like a food diary for one one week and after that he was watching my my my, my food <laughs> diary and and then he, she told me that um actually i'm sorry but i can't help you and I, i was i was just joking that yeah i know that there's no problem like I, i got this i'm going to olympic games next winter but then she told me that actually I, I didn't mean that because there is nothing that I could actually use in your food diary. Like I, I had to explode this and they hired me to like put all those last persons from like from the top athletes to the, the, the fix. And you are not one of those. And I just started <laughs> laughing. I just, I just went out like I didn't care at all. What, what items were on this food diary? What, 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 what consisted on your food diary? Like one of the days was that I, I, my, my first meal of the day was 1 p.m. And that was like <laughs> two apples. And then it's like uh, 3.30 p.m. It was like some sausages and, and, and burgers. We went to grill. And then uh, 6 p.m. It was like uh, 400 grams of candies. <laughs> that, that's for my life, the candy. And then uh, um, 11.30 p.m. was my like late night snack. And it was a couple of uh, sandwiches and pretty okay late night snack. But then like 3.30, we went to McDonald's. It was McFeast meal. And then 4.30 a.m., I, I was still eating like soft, soft drinks and stuff like that. And I went to bed like 5 a.m. So that was my, my, my life back then. So safe to say when you were in school, they didn't teach you about the four, the four food groups? <laughs> No, no. Candy. And even though if they if they thought it like I didn't I didn't care. Candy, pizza, cheese. Yeah. Uh, it no, was awful. I, I mean, uh, what what I love about about you, Mika, is you do have uh, many other hobbies and many other interests. Uh, filmmaking, as as we're talking to you, you're actually in your home theater, a nine C beautiful theater. Um, that's a big part of of your life. You've been in music, and I, I've I've read. Gospel rap is something that you are or are or certainly were into. Um, can can you can you speak about just the off of the ice uh, hobbies that you that you had at one time in your life? And explain yeah, what got yeah. what gospel exactly what gospel rap is because my wife and I were trying to rhyme words with Jesus and altar and heaven <laughs> before this podcast began. We had some success and we had some failures. <laughs> Nice, nice. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, well, um, about year 2000, I, I got really into rap music. Back in the days, like first Finnish rap musicians actually took off in the in the media. So I, I got really into rap music and, and we just started to make rap and, and, and those guys who I made rap with were from our church. So it was really, really normal for us to, to speak about our life, and because because religion and, and Jesus was part of our lives, it was easy for us to rhyme about that. So it was just my way of telling my stories, and like n- not all the songs were about Jesus, but but like the things that I really cared. And one of them was like uh, uh, when I got back home, I just want to play my PlayStation. Like 
it, it was not that serious back then but some of the uh, some of the songs were like really really strong message like songs but one of the most important things that i understood it was too late but but better later than ever was that like i have a lot of time when i'm in a training camps and competitions because i don't have my family with me and we train two times a day but i still have so many hours and i just used to watch movies and play playstation and, and stuff like that but maybe maybe like when i was 25 or 27 i understood uh, and i could, uh, i can actually use that time wisely and back then i started to learn the photograph to take videos to edit photographs and videos and i actually became so good that now now i'm doing those uh, video stuff for the finnish tv every now and then mm-hmm. and i've never been to any school mm-hmm. for for media things and i also wrote one book uh, when I was traveling and, uh, and I, st- I, I understood that one day I need to quit skating. And if I don't study at all, when I'm still skating, it's going to be a hard time for me. So I prepared for my after sports career and, and maybe five years before I, I quit skating, I understood that I really want to be a public speaker. So I started to do public speaking. I started to learn about that, reading books about public speaking, watching all the YouTube videos that I could, like how to give a good speech. And I really got so into it. So it felt it was, uh, I was training almost as much for public speaking as I was for speed skating. So I really took it seriously. But now, like I've been two and a half years after I quit skating and I've done like about 250 speeches. Wow. So uh, it's it's my it's my main job right now. Mm-hmm. And I know politics has always been something you've had some interest in as well in your past. Uh, is that you could easily dovetail from you know from your public speaking course into some lane of politics if you chose? Uh, is that a potential future for you, Mika? And you know, and I guess the follow up question is: here in the United States. A lot of athletes who are speaking out, being uh, on on activism, activism, social justice, you know, racial uh, injustices here in the United States. Sometimes that's not all that well received by people um, who feel like athletes should stick to their own sports and stick to what they do. Is where do you feel on the responsibility of athletes to use that voice and use the platform that they have to speak out on certain things that they feel matter to their society? Yeah, actually, in Finland, right now, it's kind of opposite. Like people, people are expecting also athletes to give their voice to bigger issues. So it's actually a little bit hard to be silent right now <laughs> in Finland when you are an athlete and there's uh, big issues going on. But like, um, it's good timing for you to ask about politics because I, I, I just like uh, decided that I'm going to go to elections next year for my city counseling. So I, I want to be part of that. And uh, I've been into like kind of sport politics already mm-hmm. a little bit, but now I'm really trying to dive into a little bit bigger political um, like stance. It, it, it's wonderful. What, what, what uh, caused you to make the decision? Why now? Yeah, I, I've been asked more than 10 years. And, uh, but I al- always say that I don't want to, I don't want to go there before I end my career. Because when I go to politics, I want to be 100% there. Mm-hmm. 
And this is actually the first election after my my career that are coming. So now that's the first time that I actually have time and I have energy and everything to go there. So that's the that's the main issue. Well, you can shoot and edit your own uh, political, uh, you know, advertisements and videos, right? You won't need to farm that out. That, that, that's a big advantage. And I, and I understand how the, how the social media advertising mm-hmm. works and stuff like that. And now when the, well, well, you know how the like US elections are, I think the social media is, uh, is, is more and more important for the election and, and, and voting. So uh, I think I have, uh, I have a good advantage advantages, but of course I need to get good crew for myself and uh, and do a lot of work if I want to go through. All right, Mika, just a couple more final questions. First off, thank you so much for your time. And, you know, as you reflect back, say once this podcast ends, and if you have a couple minutes free just on your own, when you think back about the, the, the best memories, the, the things that you will remember most about either 06, 2010, 14 or 18 in your four Olympic games representing Finland, whether it's on the ice or off the ice, when you close your eyes, what's the first memory that you think of? Like the first memory for sure is when we moved to Canada with, with our family. Mm. Like I don't even see the eyes in my mind when I close my eyes and think about that moment. I just see that we are uh, as a family, in different country kind of living my dream life because i always dreamed that i could actually uh, live next to mm-hmm. the ice rink because i i never had chance to do that mm-hmm. so that, that that's that's one of the biggest things for sure maybe maybe the biggest and and i still remember uh, like how that like close closes our family together because we didn't know that many people there. We spent so much time together. I didn't have all those like extra small things that I had to participate when I'm back home. Uh, it, it, it was amazing. Just the, the, just the freedom and, and the feeling that, that I'm actually trying to achieve my, my goals. And, and this is the best possible way that I could actually do that. And that was special. And Mika, how, how were you drawn there? Because Kevin Crockett was the coach that you went to work on there, and he was also there training a two-time Olympic champion in the 500 on the women's side, and Lee Sang-Wa. Uh, how, how did you make it from Finland to, to being under his tutelage over those uh, three three years in Canada? Yeah, well, the first thing when I started to speak speak about this with my wife was that we have to move to a different country. And... Uh, we only wanted to move somewhere where people speak English. That was the first thing. So it was United States or Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, like most of my like best friends from States uh, already quit their, quit their career before that. And there was a really good group I- I- in Canada. And then there was still the Kevin Crockett who used to, who used to skate with my old coach back then. So I also knew Kevin Crockett a little bit before that. And I really liked his uh, way of coaching, and I saw that he, he had done such good work with the with the Chinese skaters and uh, and uh, and some Korean skaters. So, so uh, we started to speak with with Crockett, and um, and then it finally happened, and that was that's one of the biggest dreams that came true because I still remember when I was a small kid, I always dreamed about about uh, living in, in the in the North America. And I, I got to do that like three different times, time periods. We, we stayed there two to five months. And uh, 
I really enjoyed. Like it could have been in the states as well because I love North America and that's 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 my like favorite favorite place if I if I want to travel anywhere. All right. Well, as, as we wrap things up here with Mika Potila, uh, two more little segments here, Mika. These are going to be some uh, lightning round questions. But first and foremost, this is how you actually became on the show. Was the Hanging with Champions Olympian podcast game of tag? So I, I, I posed the question to Evany Blondine, and I said, who would you like to see on the show? Who, whose story do you want to hear? And we were talking about funny Olympians with great anecdotes, and your name came up, and lo and behold, a few weeks later, here you are. So now you're in the hot seat. And so who do you want to hear on this show next? Somebody you can put us in touch with and, uh, and uh, grill over the next few, uh, few weeks here. Yeah, I would really like to see Gilmore Junior from Canada. Like he has a special story from Sochi Olympic Games. Like he was uh, he was chosen to skate the 1000 meter in the Olympic Games. But then Danny Morrison, uh, he fell at at their trials. And then uh, Gilmore decided to give his own spot Danny Morrison at the Olympic Games and Danny Morrison won the medal out of there and it was such a big story in in the Canada and I also I still remember that and uh, Gilmore Jr. was my my teammate for a couple of years and he's a great dude and he has a he's a he's the I think the biggest party guy in the speed skating world not in the bad <laughs> way but in a good way like he's he's in the body mood always well, that sounds like a very good candidate here. All right, so we'll, we'll try and get him on. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your suggestion. Last set of questions here. All we're looking for now, Mika, is your top three answers to these five questions, okay? Yeah. Top three from Mika Putala. Top three fast foods. Uh, it's kind of hard because uh, in Canada, they were different, and in States, they are different. But... Um, well, knowing your, say, knowing your body and your history, and especially that report yeah. after your nutrition diet, I'm, I'm confident you can fill three. <laughs> yeah, but it's a little bit different nowadays. I, I, I like the Mexican fast food right now. So, so, but there is plenty of those. Mexican mm-hmm. fast food, mm-hmm. then I, I still enjoy McDonald's for sure. <laughs> that's like, that, that's, that's, my, that, that's where I'm guilty for sure. <laughs> and then maybe Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. Pizza. How many Pizza Huts are in Finland? Uh, there's quite a few. Okay. I, I don't know the numbers, but there's quite a few. That's a good call. Okay. Uh, number two, top three favorite movies. Obviously, your background in filmmaking. What are, what are Mika Putzla's uh, favorite three movies? Uh, this is so hard because all those movies, their names are in Finnish in my mind. <laughs> but what, what's the movie where there's Sandra Bullock and that's the NFL player? Do you, do you remember that? I do. I do. I'm drawing a blind. Yeah. Blind spot. Blind, blind that's spot. the one. That's the one. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite favorite mm-hmm. movies. And then then I like the um, Lord of the Rings, and then the Batman Begins. Batman Begins. All right. Uh, question number three: Mika Putala's all-time favorite Olympians, just as as people as friends. Who are your top three? Yeah, so I guess it could be in different sports or only mm-hmm. our sports. Yeah, in all sports. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I I have to say two speed skaters and Joey Cheek and uh, uh, Gianni Rome, mm-hmm. and then the third one is actually um, Michael Johnson. 
I remember when when I was looking at him when I was still young and I was like watching his golden necklace and <laughs> that was something that uh, I admired. How can you still run that fast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number four, the top three for Mika Putula, top three streaming shows. What shows are you watching right now on Netflix or Amazon or whatever service you're using in Finland? Yeah, I actually watch uh, a lot of Netflix, but I mainly watch documentaries. And uh, the, 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 the show about Chicago Bulls and my, Michael Jordan. Last Dance. Last Dance, yeah. That, that's one of my favorite in the, lately. And then the Social Dilemma was one of the documentaries that I just watched. That was really good. And then, uh, because I, I really watch those like 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 fiction, um, fiction series. I only watch like documentaries and some some movies. But let's let's think the third one. I don't know. I don't know because I don't yeah. really watch those series. So mm-hmm. those two. Okay, those those two. We'll, we'll get, you know the, this podcast can run for three hours. I mean, if you want to take another <laughs> twenty five minutes to figure out the third one, that's that's fine. All right, um, final question from Mika Putula. Your top three. We we indicated earlier you were into gospel uh, rap. Your top three rap artists. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because you were you were saying so much that gospel rap. So I had to say Lecrae. That's my favorite. Like like gospel rap artist. Mm-hmm. But then I also enjoy enjoy like um, different kind of rap music and Eminem used to be one of my favorite and then Jay-Z, Jay-Z for sure. Jay-Z. All right, uh, that, that's a wrap. Uh, wonderful to have you uh, sit and spend a, a solid hour with us, Mika. We really appreciate your time. Best of luck to you, to your wife, uh, Sani, and now your three children. Uh, became a father a couple of months ago. So Mika, thank you for sharing awesome stories. And when, when even he listens to this, do you think she will say, I was right, he, was, he is the funniest Olympian? I hope so. I tried my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mika, thank you so much for being on our show. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. All right. Best wishes to Mika Potola for hanging out with us today. And a reminder, you can hang out with us, subscribe, get notified whenever the next Hangwood Champions episode drops. So wherever you find your podcast, Apple, Google, Pandora, iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify, and Stitcher, and on our social channels, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So for Mika and our entire crew, I'm Patrick Keenis. Thanks to all of you for hanging with us on Hang With Champions.